From the Department of Surgery at the University of Wisconsin, welcome to The Surgery Set, a podcast that explores the field's latest innovations with the pioneers at its cutting edge. I'm your host, Jonathan Kohler, an assistant professor in pediatric surgery here in Madison, home of the Badgers. Thank you for joining us. When I talk about medicine, I tend to focus on what happens within the walls of the hospital and clinics. Here on The Surgery Set, we generally focus on the innovations in technique and technology that improve care in the operating room. But medicine isn't bound by the walls we practice in. There's far more to a patient's experience before they even step foot in an emergency room. As convenient as it would be, our patients don't just appear on our operating tables, they are transported there. In February of last year, we began a deep dive into an area of medicine that is too often overlooked, patient transport. The intense and calculated work being done by EMTs, paramedics, and pilots is critical to the care of our patients. In this three-part surgery set series on transport, we're shedding light on what that work looks like and learning about the innovations in medical transportation that are saving lives. In the first episode of the series, Phil Jennings of UW MedFlight walked us through his fascinating experience as a medical helicopter pilot. While Phil takes on the responsibility of ensuring a safe flight for everyone on board, There is, of course, another side to medical helicopter transportation, the medical side. To find out how you care for a patient in a tiny room flying through the air, I sat down with Dr. Michael Stuerwald, a seasoned flight physician and the medical director for UW MedFlight. We talk about what a flight looks like from his perspective and recent innovations to his care for patients in flight. Dr. Stuerwald, welcome to the surgery set. Thank you, sir. It's a great pleasure to have you here, Into down anger. from the uh, helipad. Tell me a little bit about your background. How how did you become a, a flight doc? And how mm-hmm. is that different from being just a run-of-the-mill mm-hmm. ER doctor? Well, I, I appreciate that. Thanks for having me again. Yeah, the job that I have is being a flight physician. Uh, and that's an uncommon thing in the United States, as we were briefly mentioning earlier. The way that I got there is... I actually got started in just taking care of patients in EMS a long time ago at the rescue uh, squad and at the fire department and in uh, in EMS as a uh, basic EMT while I was in college, really just as a way to get my hands on patients on my way to medical school because that's what I thought I wanted to do. And just got bit by that bug. Uh, I did exactly the same thing. I was like, "Oh no way!" Yeah, oh, I was I in I was an EMT at Brown University for oh, awesome. my whole time there, and for a year afterwards. Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, that's great. I love finding people who uh, have uh, similar roots and don't know it. So yeah, and it awesome. is, it, I totally agree with you. It's like it was a great way to sort of like get your head around like, what does mm-hmm. a sick person look like? How do you deal with that? Mm-hmm. I, a huge actually step up for mm-hmm. me when I got to medical school. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree completely. Yeah. So I got bit by that bug and never really wanted to let it go. So as I was in med school and then going into emergency medicine, I was like, yeah, I got to stay tied to pre-hospital care. I thought I was going to be a ground EMS medical director. Um, So be the medical director of some big city, either fire department or EMS agency is where I'd eventually end up trying to do that. And that's typically a role that emergency medicine doctors fill, right? They sort of are the the medical oversight for regional. Mm-hmm. That, that's exactly right. Individual departments, regions, states. That's largely 
be, become a niche of emergency medicine, except in rural communities. Um, there's multidisciplinary involvement in rural communities or multidisciplinary involvement as a team with, uh, with larger departments. So it's not uncommon to have trauma surgeons, not uncommon to have pediatricians as part of a medical direction team for a big EMS agency. So I kind of went down that pathway. I trained at the Cincinnati program uh, uh, in emergency medicine. And by chance, they had a uh, very robust flight program for their residents. So it was part of the residency training program that you were a flight doc. Uh, and that was baked into my shift burden as a resident. So I got started doing it. And it's actually, I'm terrified of heights, actually. Um, so uh, it was actually kind of this, uh, this just uh, this leap for me, but yeah. I did it. Don't um, look down. That's right. Yeah. That's right. But I did it and started to love it. And the reason I started to love it was that medical direction of EMS really is protocol driven. It's education driven. It's awesome. It's great. But you yourself don't get your hands dirty and you yourself don't usually provide physician level interventions and care when you're doing that. When you're a flight doc doing helicopter EMS, you absolutely are. Now, there are some ground programs, especially in Europe where physicians will go out by ground to do that, but not so much here in the United States. There are some notable examples, some notable examples actually close to us. Uh, but if the idea of, and it really did to me, appeals to you of being a doctor out there, being a flight doc really is the way to do it. So, yeah. so that's how I ended up here, uh, is uh, here's one of the places where you can do that as a, as an attending physician in a robust capacity. Yeah, so I, I, other places I'm aware of it put residents in that role mm -hmm. here it's it's attending mm -hmm. level physicians who are who are on our helicopter and that's mm -hmm. that's not super common right at no, least in the u.s not at all um in in other parts of the world it is uh in a lot of other programs uh in europe and in australia there will be an attending level quote-unquote uh physician and a paramedic is usually the the crew uh composition Oftentimes they have trainees, however, but they'll have PGY six, seven, eight, nine trainees just because of the way that um, uh, their systems are set up. Uh, uh, kind of in contrast to the way that our systems are set up. Yeah. In the U.S., if doctors are going to get involved, it's usually emergency medicine residents. PGY two, three, four. We're one of the very few programs in the U.S. that have a, an attending plus a flight nurse as part of the usual crew. Did you have special additional training then, mm -hmm. or was this? Something that you sort of came out of residency qualified to, mm -hmm. to work in that helicopter environment? Mm -hmm. That's a great, great question. The answer is sort of. It was baked into my personal residency program. So I had formal, informal training to that effect. Mm -hmm. um, I did a fellowship in pre-hospital care that uh, really is more about ground EMS medical direction, but also focuses on aeromedicine and also focuses on what has become known as EMS medicine, um, mm -hmm. that uh, has the totality of that qualifies me to do what I do. Now, with that said, everybody takes a different kind of route to it. Uh, and what we like to do is we just kind of get the best people that we can get. Everyone is a board certified emergency physician, but then we fill in the gaps in their experience, plus have a uh, a training program that kind of hits all of the regulatory boxes and ensures uh, competency in a number of different things that we do. My experience with with flight mm -hmm. medicine is limited to a one really fun day riding mm -hmm. along with the helicopter mm -hmm. while as a medical student, mm -hmm. and then uh, and then going up and and touring our 
med flight facility. And, mm-hmm. and the thing in both cases that has really struck me, and more so now that I know more about medicine than I did when I was a fourth year medical student, is just how constrained a space you're working in. I mean, right. it's, it is, it is not roomy in that helicopter. Right. And yet you are providing not just transport, but like, and not just paramedic level care, but actual like inter, like procedural interventions on these patients mm-hmm. while you're flying in a very small box mm-hmm. at very high speeds. Mm-hmm. How is that different? Like, and how do you learn to accommodate that space mm-hmm. limitation? The answer is a little bit of a non-answer in that we get really good at predicting who is going to need interventions and really try to do it before we get in the helicopter. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's 95% of the uh, the contingency. The rest of it is all logistics and training. So we train on how to do advanced airway management in the helicopter. We think about where we are going to put X, Y, or Z equipment so that it's actually possible to do X, Y, or Z procedure in the helicopter. Airway management's an example. And then we've done our best to improve our situation by getting bigger helicopters. So uh, for the last two weeks, we've functioned out of a bigger helicopter than, than one you've seen previously, which we think not only is going to allow us to do more cutting edge things in the future, like uh, like ECMO transport, et cetera, but also take better care of the patients that we already fly because we'll have more room to operate and be less constrained. It might shock you actually that the helicopters that you've seen, the uh, the EC-135 aircraft, are actually medium sized uh, uh, in the uh, in the industry in the United States. Like there are some very tiny, tiny helicopters that do helicopter EMS. So even our situation was pretty favorable before upgrading to the bigger platform. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's it's not quite like what you see on Mash, right? Where they're like on the <laughs> two patients like strapped on the outriggers and they yeah. just like go, yeah. right? Like. But it's, it's not so far from that. I mean, like you're you, in that little space in the back of the helicopter, you've got a patient, mm-hmm. all their associated stuff, mm-hmm. and then a flight doc and a nurse back there with mm-hmm. them, then a pilot mm-hmm. or or two up front. Just one pilot. Just one pilot. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's a lot of, it's a constrained space. Like there's big motors. I mean, I know how loud they are when they land 100 mm-hmm. yards from my office. So, mm-hmm. you know, I can only imagine, like, it's not like you're listening to breath sounds, right? Right, for sure. Yeah, there is uh, uh, nothing to be heard. Um, we have uh, helmets that restrict the um, the noise to our ears, so we're essentially wearing headsets that uh, don't allow us to hear anything. Mm-hmm. It's a different kind of medicine. It really yeah. is. Uh, and just like practicing medicine is different in the OR as opposed to in the emergency department, as opposed to on the floor in the ICU and the challenges that arise in those different locations, the more you function in that space, the better you get at being comfortable and just having algorithms for troubleshooting problems. So you just get comfortable uh, Mm -hmm. after a while and you know what information to gather to make a decision. Whereas like, say someone you hypothesize is developing a tension pneumothorax rather than pulling out your stethoscope, maybe listening to breath sounds, you look at the ventilator, you look at the patient, you pull out your ultrasound because yeah, you know you can't and you get more comfortable with that particular um, circumstances, the more often you do it. I actually think that a lot of the difference in medical specialties isn't so much different knowledge sets, but in comfort in different environments uh, and Mm -hmm. kind of knowing how to apply knowledge in those different environments. And yeah, helicopter EMS is no different, I think. Yeah, right. I mean, it's it's certainly the case for me that like, 
I'm a thousand times more comfortable once I get a patient in the operating room mm-hmm. than like when they're like in the ER. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And I imagine not everybody feels that way. Yeah. So yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it's, I, I think it's such a great point, right? It's just an environment. It's mm-hmm. another care environment. Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit about sort of w- the different range of things that, that you do with MedFlight, right? Mm-hmm. Cause it's not like, I mean, it must be really varied. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes you're like going to the side of a highway, you're going to a field somewhere, or mm-hmm. you're going to another hospital. Mm-hmm. You know, what's the, what's sort of the process of, you know, you guys get a call about a patient. Mm-hmm. How do you go about then getting to them, assessing them and, mm-hmm. and getting them home? It's going to be different for every program. Uh, MedFlight here, our breakdown is, is very inner hospital transport heavy um, just because of the, uh, the geography and the way um, kind of uh, just EMS organizations function in our state and region. Mm-hmm. We do mostly inner hospital transfer- transfers. Um, we do some uh, scene calls. Honest to goodness, when we're being dispatched, unless it's a specialty transport mission, and we define that as balloon pump, uh, neonatal mission, perhaps pediatric missions, uh, ECMO missions in the future, we actually... Uh, get paged out, get to the helicopter, we go with almost zero information about what's going on with the patient. Uh, and we do that on purpose just because, frankly, if it's not going to impact what you do, forget it. Let's go. Let's save the time. Uh, uh, and we can learn about the patient on the way. And, and you're just hanging out like near the helicopter waiting for those calls. You, you're not yeah, driving in from home. like that, That's right. We're, we're um, uh, 24-7 ready to go close to the helipad. Now, I don't want to characterize it as hanging out because uh, right. there's a lot of other stuff that we're kind of doing um, uh, as the day goes on and not flying time. But but yeah, we're hanging out by the helicopter. Yeah. Yeah, if the tone drops, we'll get a place we're going, place we're coming back to, uh, the way to the patient. And that's really about it. Uh, and then we decide if we're going to go or not based on the weather and uh, some other aviation considerations, some crew considerations. We'll start to to lift and fly out. And then as we're going out, we start to learn about the patient. So mm-hmm. if we're going to an outside hospital, we get a pretty good report on the way out there about what's going on. Let's say it's a traumatized patient, traumatized pediatric patient. We'll learn um, how old they are, how big they are, what their injuries are, what their primary survey looks like, what their vital signs look like, what interventions um, have already been made. And this is you talking to the emergency department or that gets getting relayed to you? It's, or? it's getting relayed to us from our communication center. Okay, who so is, they're on the phone and then... Exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, so they've gotten some of that information from like our access center or from the outside hospital or other means. Yeah. The reason we do that is so that we as a crew can just start talking about okay, if this happens, we're going to do this. If this happens, we're going to do that. If this is as built, we're going to do that. If this is nowhere near as built, this is going to be how we overcome A, B, or C challenge. And that gets back to what we were talking about earlier with respect to predicting all of the ways like something's going to go sour on you so that hopefully everything's nice and tidy before you get in the helicopter because then it's going to be harder um, to deal with some decompensation. And then beyond that, because we have a really experienced crew with attending physicians, especially if we're going to a scene and not to a, a an outside hospital where there already is an attending physician in almost all cases, we might be getting prepared to do a procedure or be ready to do a procedure out there as opposed to here. So we like to think we take the care of the hospital to the patient rather than bring the patient to the hospital. And then we, we get to the patient and we do our assessment and then it's kind of just go time and we do what we got to do and then we uh, we come back. Yeah. And you actually assume 
sort of medical control and assume care of that patient entirely at the referring facility. And I think mm-hmm. that's something that I was sort of surprised by, you know, like mm-hmm. as a surgeon, I knew MedFlight was going out mm-hmm. and I'd hear MedFlight is like going out there. And then you'd hear like MedFlight's there. Mm-hmm. They're doing some stuff mm-hmm. and then they're going to come back. But mm-hmm. like they're going to do some stuff first. Mm-hmm. And I think it's that that for me, I thought was was really interesting. You know, like you sort of go and you and you do you're you're. You're doing a lot of things to the patient before you put them in the helicopter. Mm-hmm. Right. No, that's um, that's absolutely the case. Now, with that said, that's where the art is. Um, yeah. So there's a great uh, debate between the like load and go and stay and play kind of type of approaches to mm-hmm. pre-hospital care. And we have to be careful like as, as physicians to not get in the way of the momentum of getting the patient to the tertiary care center where all the resources are because we right. can do more. Right. We should do more when we should do more uh, and not when we shouldn't because time is, is, is time. It's critical. But physiology is also physiology. And if someone needs some change to some physiological problem and you can do it, then stop and do it. Um, if you have to stop and do it, because that's ultimately going to be better for the patient. So that's really where the art of pre-hospital care is, in my personal opinion, is mm-hmm. knowing when to pump the brakes and when not to pump the brakes. Um, Mike uh, Abernathy, uh, who's one of our senior flight docs, often says the real benefit of the attending flight physician going out to either the scenes or to the outside hospital is not that we necessarily know how to do anything better or we can do more. It's that we more often know when not to do something, uh, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. You can say like, let's hold off on like the pan scan or like Mm -hmm. setting the ankle fracture, right? Mm -hmm. And just, we know where that's going to happen. We know how that's going to go when we get there. Right. right? Or or the like peri-death patient who's got the GCS of nine let's 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 not intubate that person or the person with penetrating trauma um, mm-hmm. who's living off of their catechol surge let's not intubate that person and uh, blunt their catechol surge with uh, an induction agent like because they'll probably die right here let's let's just get that person to the operating room that's where we think we have the biggest difference right. honestly and your transport times are brisk right oh yeah <laughs> yeah talk a little bit about the range of of you know where we're going where mm-hmm. i know our range is sort of expanding and and mm-hmm. and how that changes you know how long it takes to get get to us and get mm-hmm. into the definitive care mm-hmm. process it's hard to answer that question in black and white because mm-hmm. we'll go almost anywhere. So if there's a need for us to go somewhere really far away, we will do that if it's the right thing to do and something else doesn't make more sense. Our usual operating area, at least here, is, and you'd have to know something about the us- the geography of our area to understand this answer, but we'll frequently go about as far east as uh, uh, Watertown, Wisconsin, about as far north as kind of Wisconsin Rapids, go about as far east as the Iowa border and about as far south as like Rockford-ish. Now, that is really general, but that's essentially what our what our area is. Yeah. A usual like fly out time from one of our bases to where we're going is about 25, 30 minutes. A usual ground time is anywhere from, uh, and by ground time, I mean from like plopping down to lifting off is like 20-ish minutes to as long as three, four hours, depending on what's going on with the patient. So if like the patient's on a balloon pump and 10 drips and is uh, uh, needs a ton of stabilization, we could be there for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, but if it's a patient with a STEMI, we are not going to be there for a long time unless uh, that person has like massive cardiovascular collapse that we need to deal with. That's 
kind of how we function and where we function and what a usual transport looks like for us. And we heard a little bit about this from from your chief pilot, Phil mm-hmm. Jennings, you know, sort of like there's the, a lot that goes into sort of being ready to just go, mm-hmm. assuming that the you know weather checks out and it's mm-hmm. safe, right? Mm-hmm. Like you guys start moving and then there's that art of medicine on the ground and then there's like, you know, mm-hmm. pedal to the metal once you're kind of in the helicopter right. and you're exactly. coming back, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. That's totally right. That's totally right. The, uh, the helicopters aren't that fast, but uh, the ethos is, yeah, after you're moving, let's move yeah. uh, uh, and let's get the patient where they need to be. And they fly, I mean, the advantage is they fly in straight lines yes. and they don't stop for traffic, right? That's exactly right. That's yeah. exactly right. And there, there's a few more advantages to just the helicopter aspect aspect of it. Well, we like to think that the, the biggest reason uh, or best reason or perhaps uh, most valuable thing that we bring is us, the people um, mm-hmm. who happen to be staffing the helicopter versus other modes of transportation. But yeah, the helicopter comes back in a straight line. It's actually less bumpy than an ambulance. There's less jostling than an ambulance, in my personal opinion. Yeah. And at least in our case, our helicopter is way more tied to the institution than perhaps a uh, uh, another transport entity. So we can, if something very clearly needs to happen for the patient and it's an out-of-the-box thing, we like to think that we can mobilize those resources from the air while we're on the way versus the second that you get here, like you confirming X, Y, or Z and waiting to get either mass transfusion going or an operating room open or X, Y, or Z other thing. Uh, we could come up with hypotheticals, obviously. Right. But, I've, uh, I've definitely seen you guys in your flight suits wheeling people into operating rooms, right? Mm-hmm. Where like the plan was the ER and it's like, ah, mm-hmm. ER is not going to work. We got to go mm-hmm. straight to the OR. Like mm-hmm. you guys know where the ORs are. It's right. very convenient. Right, right. Um, sort of speaking to that other point about mm-hmm. like distance. Right? I mean, I, I know of cases where you guys have replied to like, responded to the other side of town Mm -hmm. you know it's not like it's always 100 miles off it's the other side of madison and it's because there's value in dropping like attending physicians into that scene more than it's like gonna save you a huge amount of time versus driving exactly right exactly right yeah yeah so that's why that's exactly why we're set up the way we're set up historically uh uh, and I'm I'm not a uh, a homegrown Wisconsin guy, but uh, the Wisconsin ideal literally is the reason why MedFlight is set up the way it is. Is the idea to take the resources of this center and put it out as effectively as possible in the region. Um, so that's why back in 1985 we got set up with with doctors on the helicopter when not a lot of other programs had doctors on the helicopter, and that's why it continues to exist today. Yeah, the Wisconsin idea is, uh, I mean, it's deep in the DNA. Yeah, right. right. Like it's it's mm-hmm. everything we do. Is the, and for those of you who don't know the Wisconsin idea, it's it's this idea that's actually foundational to the university, which is that the purpose of the university is mm-hmm. to take what we know here and bring it out to the community and like it it really drives everything we do Mm -hmm. like to a remarkable degree given that it's a pretty simple idea talking a little bit about the history maybe can you talk a little bit too about kind of where we're where we're headed Mm -hmm. Um, because i know there are changes afoot we've like expanded where we have launching pads for the Mm -hmm. helicopters we've got now bigger helicopters and i know there are there are things in afoot for for new services that we're Mm -hmm. going to be providing right traditionally we've had a helicopter here uh, at uh, uw hospital in madison for the last several years we've had a helicopter based at the um, the iowa county airport which is in mineral point wisconsin and those have both been uh, EC-135 helicopters. So that's kind of a medium-sized um, helicopter, EMS uh, helicopter. We 
exactly uh, 14 days ago transitioned to a new air operator. So that's the airline that flies us around. And with that transition, we launched a third helicopter service and that helicopter will be based in Portage, Wisconsin. So we'll have those two regional bases plus the, um, the helicopter that is um, here. One of those helicopters has become a bigger helicopter, an EC-145, which has a ton of benefit uh, in that it allows us to take care of every single patient more effectively, like we talked about, plus launch some new services. Um, so ECMO is the uh, the prototypical example where we think uh, that extra space will allow us uh, the resources we need to start flying patients on ECMO, whether that's already cannulated or fly out to somebody who needs to be cannulated and, um, uh, and come back. And ECMO is extracorporeal membrane ox oxygenation. It's, mm -hmm. it's basically flying people on a heart-lung bypass machine. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Uh, the hope is, is that over the course of the next two years, we're going to transition our whole fleet to uh, EC-145 helicopters and uh, just function out of our three bases uh, uh, as uh, effectively as we always have uh, with our current two or our historical two and do our best to, to develop these new, um, these new services at the same time as continuing to get better and better and better at the basics. If you look at the best helicopter EMS teams in the world, what they tell you just over and over and over and over again is they do not focus on the shiny stuff. They focus on doing the basics insanely well. Mm -hmm. um, the uh, the medical director of the London HEMS program, which is one of the standard bearers for what we do, calls it uh, virtuosity. Um, so uh, doing the doing the mundane and simple as best you possibly can as a, a kind of a vehicle to get to to be the best. So that's what our future looks like. I think you you sort of touched on this a little bit, right? Like you guys don't just like you're not just like sitting around waiting for calls to come in and kind of going out and doing your thing. I assume that there's beyond the sort of, you know, making sure your medications aren't expired, all that mm -hmm. sort of thing. Like what is the the ongoing training process and mm -hmm. what is it that you guys are, are working on to, to maintain mm -hmm. yourself at that cutting edge? Mm -hmm. That's such a great question. Uh, and the, the answer to that question is, uh, it is dynamic uh, and has been changing and continued to change for the, the whole time that we've been uh, in operation. I'd almost ask you to uh, have me back in a year or two and ask me that question again. All right, we'll get uh, you on the calendar. My, That's not a problem. My man. The, the short answer to your question is we focus pretty heavily on making sure that everybody has a good start. So pretty robust checkoff process when somebody gets started. Honestly, the most robust process that we have is for our resident physicians who want to fly uh, and, um, and do the job solo. So we actually have a caveat where occasionally a resident physician can be on shift with us and will actually replace one of the attendings uh, if they've jumped through all of the hoops and, and, and gone through everything we have simulations, we have uh, courses, we have oral board style test outs that we have them do um, to um, uh, to gain uh, kind of our confidence to go and do um, do missions. Then long term, we have uh, kind of M&M style presentations as a group where we talk about missions, what has gone really well, what hasn't gone so well. Uh, we have a robust quality review process uh, and uh, kind of a case review process. Uh, and then our discipline specific education is uh, focused on things we identify as being uh, uh, needs in those processes. What we want to do more of is on shift simulation partnering with the sim center, uh, simulation in the helicopter partnering with the sim center, and then more kind of robust. The program in Sydney, Sydney HEMS, uh, does really robust kind of like every 
day M&M kind of type of things just as a crew on case discussions in the morning. I think that they call it coffee in cases. And uh, I think that that's low-hanging fruit for us, something that we haven't done longitudinally. But um, the... Uh, the future is bright there. Uh, Drew Cathers, uh, who's our associate medical director, is kind of in charge of developing that further, and we'll see where that goes. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for coming oh, by, thank you, for sir. giving me such a nice overview and all of us mm-hmm. a, an overview of, of yet another kind of interesting, mm-hmm. similar to other places, but just a step above, uh, which mm-hmm. I think is sort of sort of the Wisconsin way. What a, a, a cool program and congratulations on Thank you, sir. on your new growth. And uh, yeah, we will have you back in a year and uh, hear how things are going. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it a lot. All right. Thanks so much. Cheers. Thanks to Dr. Michael Sturwald for sharing his experience with UW MedFlight. If you haven't already, be sure to check out our episode with senior lead pilot Phil Jennings, who shares his perspective from the pilot seat. And next time on The Surgery Set, we'll conclude our three-part transport series with the always entertaining Dr. Tom Brazelton, who talks about the special tricks and teams you need to transport critically ill children. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher, Overcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Invite your friends to listen in, and if you're feeling generous, please rate us on your favorite podcast app. It really makes a huge difference. Thanks. The Surgery Set is a production of the Department of Surgery at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. This episode was produced by J.P. Swenson and me, Jonathan Kohler. It was recorded by Chris Hansen and edited by J.P. Swenson. Our theme song is On Wisconsin, arranged and produced by Jamie Schmidt. Visit us at surgery.wisc.edu, where you can find links to Grand Rounds, free CME credits, and more. You can also check out the UW School of Medicine and Public Health video library for a wide range of medical education resources at videos.med.wisc.edu. Give our Facebook page a like, and follow us on Twitter at WISC Surgery, and I'm at J.E. Kohler, K-O-H-L-E-R. Please feel free to let us know how we're doing, rate and review us on your podcast app, and don't hesitate to let us know of any topics you'd like us to cover. Until next time, from all of us here at The Surgery Set, thank you for listening. On Wisconsin.